text today is from Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you today for bringing us all to your table. God, we are hungry. Our hearts are hungry for your word today. God, I would pray that uh, you be with Reed. God, that you would uh, indwell within him, uh, that you would um, cause his words through the Spirit, supernaturally, to fill us up, fill our hunger, God. Give us peace through, through your Spirit, through your words. God, I pray that grace would triumph in every heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian, so much. Well, glad to have everyone here this morning um, for, for the fellowship, for the worship, and also for this time in God's Word. Well, Paul tells us in this passage that as the church, we are to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The church is a supernatural fellowship in the Spirit. We are a group of people who have a mystical union with Christ and a mystical union with each other. We are not a business. We are not a club. We are not like any other human organization. We have an organic spiritual living union with Jesus and with each other. And we do not merely identify with Christ, we actually are joined to Christ and to each other. We are connected to one another in the Spirit. Uh, we can't see it, but it's real and we do sense it. It's something that we can know and experience. And Paul says we are to maintain or guard our oneness in the Spirit. The New American Standard says we are to preserve the unity of the Spirit. And we are to do this with great passion. We are to be eager to, or to be zealous to protect this unity. The NIV says to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. 
This unity of the Spirit is so precious that it demands our constant vigilance and diligence. I have been together with other believers many times in many types of meetings, in small groups, in life groups, in the church meeting, in prayer meetings. When we are all in one accord and there is one mind and one heart and one soul and the unity of the Spirit is powerfully felt and experienced together. And everybody in the room knows the Spirit of the Lord is there. Everybody in in the room knows that something is going on and there's an activity of God, a presence of God, a unity of the Spirit. And once you have tasted the sweetness of this unity, you want it more and more. How good it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. It is such a precious gift that we share in in the body of Christ. And once you have experienced this unity, you see how deadly division is. We keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Peace is like a belt or a bond that holds us together. The unity of the Spirit is kept by being at peace with one another. Peace keeps a marriage together. Peace keeps relationships together. Peace keeps us from fragmenting into factions. Peace keeps a church together. So why would we need or why should we work so eagerly on this? Why should we be zealous for this? Why does Paul tell us to make every effort to keep this oneness or unity in the Spirit? First, because we have an enemy who wants to take it from us. Satan hates peace in the church. Satan sows division. Second, because there is something within us that is prone to magnify our differences and to forget the priority of unity. Third, because division seriously damages the church. I mean, what do we have without unity in the Spirit? What can we do as a church without unity in the Spirit? Who wants to come to anything when there's underlying friction and tension? How, how can we worship together? How can we sing together? How can we be happy in the Lord? How can we rejoice together without unity? And who will believe our message if we're fighting with one another? But even more than that, unity is the will of God. The purpose of God before the world began is that we would be one in Jesus Christ. Fighting with each other is fighting against God and what pleases Him. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, there are six things that the Lord hates. That ought to get our attention. There's six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. And one of those seven things is the one who sows discord among brothers. It is our unity with each other that glorifies God. Romans 15, 5 through 7 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement 
grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring glory to God. So this is a prayer that that God would give us such unity or such harmony with each other that it's just like we are speaking and praising and worshiping and singing with one voice as one person. And we are exhorted to accept one another so that we can live in this oneness in order to bring glory to God. We glorify God in unity with other believers. And Paul's point in verse 4 is that in a profound way, all true believers are one. We share in one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope, one Father. And we are to keep this oneness. We're given it as a precious gift from God. We are made one in all these ways. And so we are to fight for it. We are to preserve it. We're to keep it. We're to guard it. We're to protect it. Of course, we all are different in many ways. We know that. But our differences are not as great as our oneness. This oneness is so massive, so profound, so deep, so pervasive that it trumps all of our differences by a mile, by a million miles. Our differences do not keep us from being one in the Spirit. It is wrong to emphasize how different we are from others in the church family in a way that makes us withdraw or hold back from others. It is, it is dangerous to begin thinking about how unique my circumstances are or on how nobody really understands me or how my problems are bigger than everybody else's or different than everybody else's or my past is so different, my upbringing is so different than everybody else here, I just can't be close to those people. Those are all thoughts inspired by the devil to keep you from being one in the Spirit and united in Jesus. It hinders our unity to think that I can only be close to people who are like me or who have my life experiences. Galatians 3.28, Paul said, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ, differences in race nationality, upbringing, personality, status in this world do not become obstacles to unity. We can, we can fellowship, and I love this about our church, we can fellowship young and old. Uh, we can fellowship with children. We can fellowship men and women together. Even our past sins do not separate us, no matter what they were. We were all washed and justified and sanctified, and now we share in the Holy Spirit. 
One of Satan's biggest lies to Christians is, I don't fit in here because these people are so different from me or because I'm so different from them, however you want to say it. Someone said, even if you were student body president and get invited to more parties than a movie star, you can feel like you sometimes don't fit in and you're different from those other people. Satan tells everybody that. It's one of his most popular deceptive lies that he feeds into people's thoughts. Do you have the Spirit of God living in you regardless of your past, regardless of anything else about you? Do you have the Spirit of God living in you? Do those other people, regardless of their past or personality or whatever they're like, do they have the same Holy Spirit in them? Then you are one with them. You can be united with them in the Spirit. You can be eager, you can work, you can be diligent to keep unity of the Spirit with that person no matter what your difference is. Jesus prayed for his disciples to get along with other disciples. He knew it was vital for the survival of the church and for the effectiveness of the church's mission and message to the unbelieving world. In John 17, Jesus prayed, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, talking about his 12 disciples, but for those also who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. Jesus is praying right there, not only for, the, for the, tw- the oneness of the 12, but for everyone throughout all time who would ever believe on Jesus through their word, that they may be one, they, that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. I mean, we're talking about just not kind of a, a very uh, shallow sense of, uh, of kind of getting along. We just, you know, we're not really at odds of each other. No, we're talking about this deep oneness, the same kind of oneness Jesus described just as Father, the Father, you are in me and I in you. That's the kind of oneness uh, that, that Jesus is talking about. That they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So oneness affects our, the effectiveness of our, of our message. That the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you have given me, I have given to them so that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So whenever you are tempted to pull back from other believers, whenever you're tempted to close your heart to a brother or sister in the church family, go back and read that prayer. Go back and read the heart of Jesus, the passionate heart of Jesus for our oneness. In almost every New Testament letter to the churches, there is an appeal for unity. In in Philippians 4, verse 2, Paul urged two ladies, two women in the church at Philippi, to live in harmony in the Lord. It was so important that the church live in unity that Paul, in that letter, named a couple of ladies and said, hey, you know, I urge you two ladies to live in harmony in the Lord. 1 Peter 3, 8 Finally, all of you, be like-minded, 
be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Philippians 2, 2, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one another and of one mind. And I could go on and on and on. I mean, there's a, I was going to say a gazillion, but I mean, there's hundreds of verses about unity in, in, the, New, in the New Testament. It's just covered. And I, 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 I do think that, I didn't actually check every book out, but I could not think of a book in the New Testament, a letter to the church in the New Testament that didn't have at some place an appeal for, for believers, for the saints to live in unity and harmony and to get along. This oneness in the Spirit is so important to God that drastic action is sometimes required to protect it. And I, there's a couple of verses that I think show what serious business it is that we all live in unity with one another. Romans 16, 17 says, I urge you to watch out for those who cause divisions. Titus 3.10, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. That's serious. I mean, it's serious stuff because unity, unity in the church, unity in the body is serious business. Peace in the church family is serious business. And God, God says, deal with somebody that's disrupting it. Because this is that important. Paul begins this appeal for unity by urging us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And I wish we had time to go back into all of that and we could look through all the first three chapters of Ephesians and and understand our calling and see what a wonderful thing that all the stuff that God gives us first before he even tells us to do a thing. Uh, But just in essence... The, the first chapters of, of Ephesians tell us that, that God chose us from the beginning for salvation. We are God's holy people. We are his sons and daughters, chosen and beloved. He lavishes his, us with grace and forgiveness of our sins. And he seals with the Holy Spirit. We're destined for glory and happiness with the Lord forever. And Paul says, in light of this, now go and live in a manner consistent with what God has given you. Just, you know, consider God's lavish grace upon you and and calling you to this wonderful salvation. Now go live. You have this. You have it by grace, not of works. It's just given to you. But now go live in a manner worthy or consistent with that. And I think it's really significant that the first or maybe the foremost way that we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling is to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This was written to a church. This was written to God's people at Ephesus. We shouldn't have to say this, but I think we do. Paul is talking about unity with actual people in an actual church. <laughs> you know, we love the concept of unity with, with those people out there somewhere. <laughs> but we are to eagerly pursue unity with real people right here 
in our church. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Well, in the same way, everybody says unity is a lovely idea until they realize that there's real people involved. And you've probably heard me say this before, but years ago, actually probably decades ago, there was a Peanuts cartoon that said, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. And, you know, we can kind of be that way or have that kind of attitude about unity. When we talk about unity, I think some people immediately leap to uh, this broad universal unity uh, or they think about unity among different churches or among denominations or, or with the universal church and that is a wonderful thing. I mean, it's an amazing thing to go somewhere you've never been and just have this immediate uh, connection with a believer from another church or another country or whatever in the spirit. That's special. But we also are called to keep unity here in a real place among real people. This unity is produced by the Holy Spirit. To be a Christian is to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. It's to have the Spirit of Christ living in you. And we want that for everybody here. And I, before we go on, I mean, I trust that everybody here knows the reality of Christ living in you. And you can have that by turning to Jesus Christ in faith and putting your trust in him. And we would urge you to do that today. But the very essence of being a Christian is being born of the Spirit or having God's Spirit infused or poured out into your life and I'm bringing this up for a reason because I, it, we have to understand that or we will not really understand what unity in the Spirit is. Uh, listen to Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Do you catch how many times it's in just that, those short verses it talks about you know, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ living in you because that is the very essence of, of this new life that we share. We are made alive by the Spirit. We are made alive by the outpouring, or we could say the inrushing of the Spirit into our hearts. And then we share this communion with the Spirit with others who have the Spirit. We are united in the Spirit. It is a unity in the Holy Spirit. We are connected to each other by this deep and wonderful spiritual bond that only the Holy Spirit can produce. Acts 4.32, those, or all those who believed were of one heart and soul. That's ESV. All those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And that happened because they were 
filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was working among them and producing this precious oneness of heart and soul and mind. This oneness of the Spirit is not just a figure of speech. You sense it in your heart. It's something you know within you. You sense it in your heart when you are living in it. You can feel it in the room when we are in all in one accord. You know, just before the Holy Spirit was poured out, it says in Acts chapter 1, I think it's verse 14, all the apostles and all the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and all his brothers were in the upper room. There was about 120 people there in all. And it says they were all in one accord. They were in unity of mind and heart. It says devoting themselves to prayer. How did they know that they were in one accord? They felt it. I know sometimes we have such a uh, kind of a pushback to talk about feeling anything in the Christian life, but they felt the unity. They felt the one accord. They sensed it. It was a reality in the room. It happened. They, they experienced it together. They lived it. They lived in this experience of being in one accord, of one heart and one soul and one mind. There's an old song uh, that was always a favorite of mine. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place, and I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. And there are sweet expressions on each face, and I know that it's the presence of the Lord. Sweet Holy Spirit, sweet heavenly dove, stay right here with us, filling us with your love. That song was inspired from a prayer meeting. There was a prayer meeting, people were praying together, and it was actually a prayer meeting before church, and it was such a powerful prayer meeting, nobody wanted to leave it, but they had to break it up and go on to the rest of the church service. And one person said or thought, I'm not sure, said, wow, there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. I don't think it's a coincidence that the Holy Spirit fell upon the church when they were all together in one accord. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, I would define revival as a repetition in some measure of what happened on the day of Pentecost. It is a pouring out of the Spirit of God upon a number of people at the same time in one church or one neighborhood or sometimes a whole country. And that won't happen without people being in one accord. All that we want God to do among us as a church, all that we cry out for, all that we pray for, all that we want God to do among us as a church will will only happen as we live together in one accord, as we live together in the unity of the Spirit. And Paul tells us how we keep this unity. He he tells us some, some ways that we interact with each other, some things that we are to do to help keep this unity and that's really how he, uh, he, he begins 
be completely humble, or the ESV says, with all humility, or complete humility. And it takes a lot of humility to keep unity at a, at a level or a depth that it should be. In Philippians, Paul said, with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. I believe that's New American Standard. Humility, it's the opposite of being self-assertive or push, pushy or just demanding uh, our own way. There's this, there's, there's this lowliness of mind that we come to each other with. Uh, in Ephesians 5, which uh, Paul says, but be f- you know, filled with the Holy Spirit, and one of the, right after that, uh, one of the most amazing things he says is being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That is a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's a way that we keep or protect this unity of the Spirit. Gentleness, next Paul mentions. You know, some, some people pride themselves on being curt or blunt in the way that they speak and often excuse it by, like, well, I just, I, I'm just being honest. You know, Proverbs uh, 12, 18, I think, speaks to that perspective. It says, there is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. If you need to bring up an issue with someone, and we sometimes do, do it with a spirit of gentleness. And sometimes we bring up issues that do need to be talked through. But too often we, we forget the priority of doing it uh, with gentleness. Even when there's somebody that's really fallen and stumbled into sin, Paul said, you who are spiritual, restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. Patience, we are to endure other people's faults or or flaws without complaining. Uh, The word here literally means to suffer long. And I think King James and other versions have it say long-suffering. Long-suffering, you know. So it really means to suffer long with other people. That's what patience is that he's talking about in in the church family. And let's face it, some dear Christian people are just harder for us to bear with. Some dear Christian people are just hard, harder for us to be around. But we're to be patient with one another. We are to, Paul goes on to say, we are to bear with one another in love. Love bears things. You know, when, when we're self-focused and self-centered, we don't put up with hardly anything. Love puts up with, love bears all things. We bear with others' faults for the sake of unity in the Spirit. Uh, Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another if anyone of you has a complaint against anyone. Then Paul tells us why we must be zealous to keep the unity of the Spirit. And I want to go back to the uh, something I mentioned earlier, but the, the whole idea of all these things that we have in common. So Paul tells us that we must be zealous to keep the unity of the Spirit because there is one body. We are all in the body of Christ. 
in another place, Paul said, Christ is not divided. And so we shouldn't be divided. We are all a part of one body. There is one spirit. We all have the same Holy Spirit. I, I love 1 Corinthians, 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We were all given one spirit to drink. And just, just think about that. We're all given one spirit to drink. The, the same Holy Spirit that was poured into you was poured into this other person and was poured into me. It's the same spirit. There is one spirit. Again, we may have vastly different gifts and personalities and be from different backgrounds, but we all have the same spirit, and that's the big thing about us. There is one hope. We, we all have the same hope. We are all looking forward to Christ's coming. We, all, we love his appearing. We are all looking forward to being glorified with Christ. We are all looking forward to one future that we will all share together around the throne of God, praising and worshiping the Lamb of God forever and ever and ever. We're all looking together for our future in the new heavens and the new earth. There's one Lord. Everyone who is a genuine believer, everyone says from the heart, Jesus is Lord. And that unites us. We have one Lord who loved us and gave himself for us. The same Lord that loved you and gave himself for you, loved and gave himself for this person over here. And for me, it's the same Lord. One Lord. One faith. There, there's one faith that unites us to Jesus. We were not saved by works, but by faith in Christ Jesus. One baptism. Jesus said, make disciples, baptizing them in the name, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, we all share in that, that act or that testimony of baptism. There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And I so appreciate the way Brian read that verse this morning. With, with such, uh, such meaning and such, such feeling. What an amazing truth. There's one God, one Father over all of us. There's one God who is working through all of us. The same God that's working through you is working through me and working through this other person and working through everybody else who knows God through Jesus. The same God who cares for me cares for you. And the culmination of that verse, the very last phrase is just, is, is just, just stunning. The same God who is in you is in me. The same God is in all. That just, that just blows me away. That we are, we are people in whom God dwells and it's the same God. God who is in all of us who know Jesus. So the application, the, the thing that Paul urges upon us in this passage 
is to let us be eager or zealous or diligent or to make every effort. Those are different translations. To keep this oneness. Uh, let's, let's commit ourselves to, um, to come together, to be devoted to one another in love, to, to guard the unity of the Spirit in this church, and of course among all believers, but especially right here where we meet and gather and interact with one another. You know, I do think this happens but I pray that we even happen more. When, when people come in here for the first time, maybe it's a family member that visits, maybe it's somebody that just saw, saw something online and happened to visit our church, I want them to come in here and just say, wow, these people are devoted to one another in love and in unity. I mean, there, there, there is a unity, there is a oneness in this place, maybe if they can't even understand it, they just sense the, they sense the oneness of the Spirit in the room. Even if they, even if they couldn't define it or say that's what it is, they said, "Wow, there's just there's such peace, there's such agreement. These people are in one accord. They they love God together. They worship God together. They're in tune with each other. There's a harmony here. That's that's what I want people to see, and I think that's what God wants people to see." That's how, our, that's how our message becomes effective when we live in love and unity with one another. It's, it's, it, adds, it adds the power, it adds the oomph to the truth that we are proclaiming uh, week after week after week here at Real Life Church. And I can tell you this, the, the elders uh, of this church, David and John, or Josh and I, um, we are praying for every person and every family to develop a conviction to be committed to other believers in a church family, Amen. eagerly working to protect this precious gift of unity Amen. in the Spirit, living in humility with one another, living in gentleness with one another, in patience with one another, and bearing with one another in love. All right, let's stand.